I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. David Centers, one-timer score, Oscar Clefbaum, and Edmonton strikes again in overtime. This time, it's Clefbaum. He takes the snap, he looks to the right side, he's throwing to the end zone, there it is. Touchdown, Eskimos, Duke Williams. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Good teams find a way to win. Bad teams find a way to lose. 12-9, the Eskimos lead. Two minutes to play in this one. Eskimo football as Riley takes the snap. Looks to the right side. Throws, it's intercepted. And it's going the distance. Willie Jefferson. Touchdown, Riders. Two minutes left. Three-point lead. And you throw a pick six to lose the football game. Wow. Season is spinning out of control for the Edmonton Eskimos. Whatever they need to do to lose, they do it. And today in Regina, the defense plays an excellent game. Best game of the season. The offense, once again, cannot score. Not only can they not score, they can't grind down the clock at the end of the game. And, of course, they throw the game-clinching interception for the Riders to escape with a 19-12 victory. They added another field goal late after uh, the Eskimos went 3-0 and out at, uh, on a desperation drive at the end of the game. It is 6:07. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way, despite the result today and the Oilers game on Saturday. I do hope you had a great long weekend and a good Thanksgiving. My name is Reed Wilkins, live inside sports tonight. I am happy to hear from you at 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630, the email inside sports at 630ched.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D, W-I-L-K-I-N-S as uh, the Eskimos are now last in the West Division at 7-8. and eight. They have the same number of points as the BC Lions, but the Lions are 7-7, seven and seven, so they have a game in hand. And uh, so they are placed ahead of the Eskimos, who are in severe danger all of a sudden. I didn't think it would come to this. They are in severe danger of missing the playoffs. I mean, they got a game coming up in Vancouver in a couple of weeks that could be for fourth in the West, which uh, would be the crossover spot. I mean, they, they can't get a home game. It's going to be pretty hard for the Eskimos to even get third and stay in the West Division for the playoffs. So they got Ottawa coming up on Saturday. They're at Vancouver to play the Lions on the 19th. Then they have a bye in the second last week of the season. And then Saturday, November 3rd, they host Winnipeg. And maybe their season is going to be on the line when it comes down to that. But uh, this one, uh, I mean, look, we, I mean it. It's a cliche, but I mean it. You can find a way to win or you can find a way to lose. And the Eskimos keep on finding ways to lose. And in a complete role reversal from earlier in the season, 
the offense is the weakest unit on the team. I, I mean, early on in the season, we thought, okay, the defense isn't going to be great. They don't make a lot of plays. They play a little too soft. We're going to need the offense, uh, you know, to bail them out, maybe, you know, outscore some uh, tough games by the defense. And, hey, that did happen in the Labor Day rematch a few weeks ago. But generally, over the last, you know, eight or nine games, it's been the defense slowly getting better and the offense slowly becoming more inept. And the Eskimos, in fact, have not scored a touchdown in nine and a third quarters little over 140 minutes since their last touchdown. It was with just over five minutes left in the uh, third quarter in what turned out to be a loss to the Ottawa Red Blacks. And, you know, not finishing drives, turning the ball over in the score zone, and then to cap it off, an inability to finish off the game today when, you know, you, you know with the way the clock runs in the CFL, what might have been tough to kill that entire clock but you could have killed a little more or maybe get a field goal or maybe you drive it long enough to get a touchdown and really put it away. And the Eskimos offense unable to do that. So another game without a touchdown. And uh, this is pretty frustrating, pretty hard to figure out. Uh, I think obviously there are some throws Mike Riley would like back, some receivers who didn't make plays. And I think we got a situation where if Jason Moss is back next season, he cannot do both jobs. He cannot be the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Uh, and I know Dave referenced it on the points after show, you know, tough that uh, Carson Waltz left, you know, not long before the season. So you got to scramble a little bit. You got to decide, are you going to try to hire somebody last minute or are you going to do it yourself? Moss chose to do it himself. Okay, fair enough. But uh, him doing both jobs is not working here. And last week they got blown out by Winnipeg. Though, again, the defense played pretty well. Turnovers by the offense, a lot of short fields um, for Winnipeg. And there was a pick six in that game, too. I mean, Mike Riley has had two of his passes go for touchdowns in the last two games, both of them by the other team, unfortunately. Um, So you get blown out last week. This game was there for the taking, and the Eskimos cannot take it. Absolutely cannot take it, despite opportunities, despite... You know, I know there were some costly penalties today. Uh, Money Hunter got that penalty for melting off long after the whistle. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but that kept the Saskatchewan drive alive. Didn't wind up costing the Eskimos. But penalty-wise, especially in the first half, uh, you know, the Riders were the 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 poor disciplined team and they wound up with 11 penalties for 110 yards tonight the Eskimos only taking five for 55 and the Riders put themselves in some situation on offense thanks to penalties where you know it was first and 20 and uh, you know they weren't able to convert and they punt back to the Eskimos and and the Eskimos have chances to uh, drive the ball and get it down the field and they continually fail to move the ball and they don't find the end zone once again uh, Mike Riley winds up 13 for 27 for 222 yards and three interceptions. Now, you got to remember, 71 yards of that was on the Hail Mary on the last play that was tipped to Bryant Mitchell. So I'm going to subtract that one because it was a bit of a rare play in a desperate situation. So without that, Riley goes 12 for 26 for 151 yards. 151 yards passing from the guy who last year was the most outstanding player in the uh, Canadian Football League. I mean, he is he's struggling, uh, and the offense just continues to struggle as a whole, and that includes the offensive coordinator. They're not protecting well enough. I mean, if they do get protection, they usually have to leave the running back, C.J. Gable, and another 
uh, another receiver coming in there a block. So then you have fewer options to pass to down the field. And, uh, you know, on the, on the last play, Riley's under pressure. On the, the interception earlier in the game, he's not able to step into his throw. That was on his second interception. That turns out to be a floater, and it gets picked off. And opportunities to score or move the ball taken off the board once again. And I, I, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, and it was worst-case scenario on that play because it gets returned for a touchdown. But you're second and five on your own 51 with about two minutes to left. So you're with, with two minutes left. Your, your running back has just peeled off a five-yard gain. For the day, C.J. Gable had 12 carries for 56 yards. You know what? Not bad. Almost a five-yard average. You're second and five, and you have the wind. Okay, and I understand if that pass is completed, it, it's a first down and everything's fine, and, and you probably win the game. But the risk-reward of that, first of all, it very well could have been an incomplete pass, in which case you're punting and the clock stops. You're giving Saskatchewan an extra 20 seconds to play with because you can't take any time off the clock in the last three minutes of the game. And if you run the ball, well, Gable might get it. I mean, he's averaging 4.7 yards a carry. If he gets four, you're going to run a quarterback sneak on third down, and, and that's been a strength for the Eskimos. That might be their best play on offense the last few weeks. So you run the ball, you might get the first down. You get stuffed, you either force Saskatchewan to use their timeout, which is an advantage for the Eskimos, or they don't use their timeout and you run another 20 seconds off and you punt it. And you have the wind. O'Neill's had a good season punting the ball. Your punt cover team has been having a pretty good game. So you're probably, again, we'll never know. I'm going down what-if alley here. But you're probably having Saskatchewan start inside their own 25-yard line with either a minute 30 or a minute 50 left, depending on whether or not they use their timeout. And to drive the ball into the wind, you probably have to get inside you know, the 35 for them to have a realistic chance at that field goal because he was short on a longer one. And that's to tie the game or to go all the way down the field, you know, say 90 yards, 85 yards to try to get a touchdown to win. That's an advantageous situation given how the Eskimos defense was playing. They were getting decent pressure with four guys. They were getting up and making tackles. You know, the DBs made some plays. And yeah, sure, the Riders had some drops. So did the Eskimos receivers. So second and five, I mean, look, second and nine, all right, you got to pass. You know, second and 15, okay, you got to pass. Second and five. There's a reason you went out and got C.J. Gable late last season. And you throw not only a pass, you threw a pass that clearly the Riders' defense would knew was coming because Willie Jefferson just stood there and said, yep, Edmonton, I know you throw the slant in this situation 100% of the time, and you're not going to change today, are you? Nope, you aren't. Thanks for the touchdown. Happy to hear from you. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. Inside Sports on 630-CHED. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 630-CHED. 
All right, thanks a lot for tuning in. Happy Thanksgiving. Reed Wilkins live from the 630 Chet Studios. Next Oilers game is coming up Thursday, 3.30 face-off show. Game at 5 against the Boston Bruins. Oilers skated today in Boston. Ryan Nugent Hopkins was not on the ice. You'll hear from Todd McClellan about that a little bit later on. And uh, our play-by-play voice, Jack Michaels, will check in as well. A disappointing weekend for the Oilers and the Eskimos focusing on the football team right now as they give one away, losing 19-12 to the Riders. They were up by three with two minutes to go. Riders get a pick six in the final Two minutes. Uh, some text to 630-630. Rick says, uh, read the last two weeks. The opposition has blistered the, uh, blitzed the Eskimos relentlessly. The way to counteract that is with draws and screens. If you don't, the defensive players are just going to pin their ears back and come. That being said, Moz didn't call a single draw or screen. The coach is being outsmarted. Uh, the offensive results show clearly that Moz is not getting the job done. Well, Rick, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, well, well, I guess if I were going to quibble with anything, I think it's longer than the last two weeks that they've blitzed the Eskimos relentlessly. Uh, but certainly it's been a factor the last two weeks. I think th- I know the Eskimos call the draw on second and 15 from deep in their own end, uh, You know, which fair enough, sometimes you're going to try that. And I think there was one screen that the uh, riders sniffed out, or maybe the Eskimos got a pass interference on that one. But uh, yeah, I mean the the way they're attacking is it, it seems like some plays take too long to develop. They're they're a little too reliant on the ball going twelve or more yards in the air down the field. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to the sidelines. There there's not a lot quick over the middle. And, you know, I, I got friends who are Riders fans, and, and we saw Chris Jones here with Steve McAdoo as the offensive coordinator, and it was times, uh, it was it, it was frustrating because it, it seemed a little too conservative and safe sometimes, but you know what, a lot of times it wins, and, you know, the Riders run a lot of stuff quick over the middle, you know, high percentage passes, yeah, sometimes a guy's going to be caught after get tackled after only a three-yard gain, and, and you're thinking, why don't they push it down the field? But sometimes you get a guy in a little bit of space, and he's able to run for seven or eight or 12 yards. And there's not a lot of that from the Eskimos this season. You know, I think, Rick, you, you make a good point. And if you, I mean, everything that has continually happened to the Eskimos in the second half, well, coaching is a part of that. I mean, if a guy drops a ball or overthrows a player or misses a tackle, you know, I think you got to separate that from the coaching sometimes. But uh, if we can, are continually failing to overcome what the other team is offering, then, yeah, I mean, I, I mean I've said it before, Jason Moss is not having a good season as offensive coordinator. Quentin says, I think a factor with the Eskimos offense is that if you're going to run tempo, you need to be set on the ball quickly. Too many times the play clock is at or near zero, and they are just getting the playoff. It doesn't look like everyone is on the same page at times. Uh, Jeremy from Glendon at McEwen has texted in. Uh, Jeremy, that's a long text today. I'm not going to get into some of your stuff about the business operations of the team. I don't know if that's uh, uh, relevant today. Uh, but uh, you say uh, Jason Moss can't handle both head coach and offensive coordinator duties. He's calling huge passing plays when Riley has maybe two seconds every play before opponents have a hand 
in his face. Moss will be fired for the same reason Gibby isn't coming back to the Blue Jays. He can't manage a game. No finish, no offense. Feel bad that the defense is finally showing up when the rest of the team decided to pack it in. I don't accept expect playoffs after these three weeks. That is Jeremy from Glendon at McEwen. Well, tell you what, they are in a lousy spot to make the playoffs, folks. And uh, I was pretty confident most of the year that, that at worst they would finish third. But everybody else in the West keeps winning. I mean, I guess except when they play another West team. And and the Eskimos keep losing and, and finding ways to lose. Gary's on the line. Go ahead, Gary. Really, thank you for taking my call. appreciate it. Yep. Just uh, wolfing down dinner while listening to um, <clears throat> some of the uh, points you made for the game. Uh, you know what? It's very disheartening as a diehard Green and Gold fan, uh, let alone the Oilers losing this weekend, too. It wasn't a great weekend for sport fans here in Edmonton, but uh, they got three games to figure this out. I mean, um, this next game, I think, is going to be crucial. If they don't win this one, I think their season's done. I hate to say it. I don't want to be negative, but um, they're just the play calling. Uh, no disrespect to Jason Moss. I like the guy, but I think he, think he can handle both both positions in this case. Um, some of the calls he's made, uh, even going back to the playoff game against Calgary, and uh, I've talked to a lot of my friends at work. They were shaking their head. Why Why didn't they go for it? I mean, you know, against Calgary, and you're inside the 10, and I'm, I'm no one. Oh, sure. Yeah, we've dealt with that, Gary. Yeah, what else is on your mind? Well, <laughs> just, uh, just just very disappointed. You know, 5-2 and two season now, we're down to... Seven eight with three games remaining. So these next three games are crucial. They got to win out, otherwise they're done. That's all I got to say. And uh, looking forward to the Great Cup being here in Edmonton. And it's 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 I I don't like to see Calgary or Saskatchewan any other team in our locker room. That's just the bottom line. That's all I got to say. All right, thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Time to hear from you tonight as well. You can text 630-630. We will uh, get some comments from Oilers head coach Todd McClellan. Jack Michaels is going to pop on as well. Uh, interesting day in the CFL just from a score perspective. 19-12, the Riders beat the Eskimos. Calgary beat Montreal 12-6 for their two touchdowns the entire day. We'll also talk to Trey fix I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good to have him on the show. Captain for the Edmonton Oil Kings. They're in the middle of a long road trip. Coming back after the news, folks. Happy to hear from you. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. So the Eskimos give it away, losing 19-12 to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They're 7-8 on the season. Stampeder has beat the Alouettes 12-6. In the NHL, Red Wings and Ducks play later on tonight. The Bruins beat the Senators 6-3. It's also a holiday in the States, Columbus Day. Jack Michaels was at that Boston-Ottawa game. He'll give us a report later on in the show. Islanders over the Sharks 4-0, and the Sabres beat the Golden Knights 4-2. Vegas 1-2 out of the gate. Baseball, Red Sox lead the Yankees 1-0 in the third. That series tied 1-1. The uh, Astros finish off Cleveland with an 11-3 win, and the Dodgers over the Braves. 
by a score of 4-2. And Monday Night Football, the Saints lead the Redskins 6-0, and they are about seven minutes into the first quarter in that one. Oh, and the Dodgers win that series over the Braves, by the way, 3-1. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630. Chad, 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. So the Oilers skated in Boston today. Ryan Nugent Hopkins not on the ice. Drake Kajula jumped up to uh, that spot on first-line left wing uh, as a filler, obviously. Uh, Reader was with Strom and Puliyarvi. Kara with Brodziak and Cassian. Lucic, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto remained together. Chason was the extra forward. And we uh, have Bob Stoff talking to Todd McClellan after practice. Obviously, Todd, not the result you look for. Uh, you get back over here. It's an, is it an entirely different situation coming back across North America? And, uh, you know, sort of maybe the guys are a little bit more acclimatized. Does it change things at all from your perspective, body clocks and that sort of thing? Um, well, the result part first, because you, uh, you began to ask your question with that. And, uh, no, the results weren't what we wanted, but the, the input... Uh, and the um, process, if you will, leads to results. And uh, we're a lot more concerned about that right now. And, uh, we addressed some things here today in practice. I thought we had a good practice. Um, so we've got some work to do. Um, we felt good coming out of the preseason. We gave a, a bit of it back in that first game. But um, we'll work here in Boston and get ready to play against a good team. As far as coming back over the uh, over the ocean and, and uh, readjusting, I'm not sure um, how the players feel completely today. I talked to a few of them, some good, some not so good. I feel better coming back personally than I did going over. And we have a number of days that we can readjust. So um, sometimes it's too much time as well. You end up in one city for a while and uh, you know, play till Thursday. So uh, there won't be any excuses when, uh, when the game rolls around. You didn't overreact when the team had a 6-1 and one preseason. Conversely, you've got to make sure you don't overreact to a, you know, a, you, there were tough stretches in that game against New Jersey. Well, there was a lot of tough stretches. And um, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the result was one thing, but the process towards that result is, is what we're working on and um, you know, I thought for um, segments early in the game other than getting scored on right away we did some of the things we wanted to do we gave a lot of it back in the second period uh, got desperate in the last 10 minutes but the game was out of control so uh, a lot of emotional uh, swings with our team and that's something we got to learn to control um, I didn't think we played with the tenacity and pace that the other team played with and I'm not sure which comes first. Do you need to be quicker and, and the tenacity will be there or does tenacity lead to pace? And uh, we talked about it today. We saw a lot of it in practice. Um, so if we can do it here, we can certainly do it in the game. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, any update there for us? Uh, just a maintenance day for him. Um, he got dinged up a little bit in uh, in the game in Gothenburg. And, and uh, with the flight yesterday, it just wasn't a good idea for him to skate. We practice one more time on uh, today's Monday, Wednesday. And uh, expect them to be on the ice at that point. Okay, you split up the defense pairings, at least the second and third pairings. Yeah, yeah. Don't we, don't we, we, we have seven, so you're always going right. to see split split guys right now. Um, you know, it was it was evident that there was one pair that struggled a lot when it uh, when it came to puck moving and preventing. Um, and we've dealt with that and talked to them. 
Um, you know, but as a, as a group, we have to move pucks better. We have to defend better, uh, be a little bit quicker. And I think there's some offense that can be created from that group as well. So uh, that's only one segment of the team. There's the goaltending, the, the forwards, and the coaching staff that all can uh, sharpen up a little bit. You you uh, progr- you did a progression in terms of the drill. You went from uh, you know in terms of breaking out the puck, one four checker to two four checkers to three, and then activated the D in the last round. There, how did you think your group handled that? Did you like the puck moving better as the practice went on? Um, I thought we woke up and got our legs underneath us, and I thought the intensity was what we needed from our players. So um, what happens in practice, you learn some lessons, you uh, learn a a few things about your forecheck, what makes it effective, where it can break down, and you get a chance to set them up for failure and for success. And, uh, you know, when when we went with few numbers, we saw that the forecheck would fail. Uh, as we added numbers and we did the things that we were supposed to do and reacted the way we were supposed to react, it had a chance at success. So um, work on it. Lessons learned. Can we apply them in the game on uh, Thursday? Manning had a tough night, but do people jump on a young defenseman a little too quickly, or is he playing above his station in the second pairing? Well, you know, you're talking about an individual. I would say that pair had a tough night. And... um, you know they're both uh, still generally young defensemen as far as games of games played. They are uh, playing big minutes, and that's part of growing up. Uh, eventually, in years two and three of your career, maybe four, you really got to assume that role, and and um, you've got to pick your spots when you want to go on offense. Uh, those two should be prime-time defenders. They should be able to, to shut other teams' uh, offensive players down. They should be good penalty killers. They should be able to initiate breakouts and move pucks up ice. I think they can both play physical. They've got a lot of the tools. Um, it's a tough night for them. But Were they just too quick to them, or it seemed like Matt especially was, was spinning around like oh. They made mistakes. Sometimes you're over-physical. Uh, you're running out of position. They made mistakes. Milan Lucic, uh, and I know you alluded to this after the game, but just even watching him in practice today, finishing every drill to completion and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I just—is there? Does he have? Does he seem to have a different energy level this year at this stage than maybe he had as he concluded the season last year? And is it something you can pick up and watching him in practice? Uh, well, you can see it in practice. I thought last year, as um, the year went on in practices, he he had frustration, but he works hard in every drill. He doesn't cheat himself. Uh, um, or the team, so he gave everything he had. He's got a little more polish this year. He, he seems to have quicker hands, and his feet are a little bit faster. Uh, I don't know if there's a, a big physical change in him, but I'm sure there's a mental one, and he's starting the season fresh. He's played quite well, and uh, we're happy for him because we need him to be a, a, a factor, and uh, you know, thus far, he's the least of our worries. Uh, seems to have struggled. Yeah, Kyle's still finding his way with a new team and um, maybe some new systems, new words. Um, you know, he's played a lot of games. Sometimes those guys take a little bit longer to get going. Um, the pace of the games and the early energy uh, has affected him a little bit. I think the, the opposition's been pretty quick. Um, so he's uh, he's figuring things out, and he'll he'll get it done. We're going to trust him in face-off circle. We're going to trust him on the penalty kill. Um shift quality and understanding of how the game is played uh, in that fourth line role is going to be important but um, I think there's more there all right that's Oilers head coach Todd McClellan talking to uh, Stoffer and also Jim Matheson in there after practice today so a little bit on uh, Nuge not skating shouldn't be anything serious there yeah Lucic was uh, one of the better the Oilers on Saturday bright spot in a dark game for the Oilers now the Oilers play Boston on 
Thursday. The Bruins won this afternoon. Jack Michaels was at the game, and he'll have a report after this break. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 630 Chad. Well, really appreciate you tuning in. Hope it was a delicious Thanksgiving. It was not a victorious one for your Edmonton Eskimos, nor for your Edmonton Oilers on Saturday in Sweden, losing 5-2 to New Jersey. Next opponent, the Boston Bruins on Thursday. And let's go to Boston, your play-by-play voice, Jack Michaels. Jack, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Reed. I'm meeting myself coming and going, but other than that, I'm good. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, well, welcome back to North America. You got to spend about a week overseas, uh, Germany and Sweden. Obviously, we uh, we talked to you from Germany. You got to experience a little bit of Sweden as well. Uh, I know the Oilers didn't get the result they wanted, and, and we'll talk about the on-ice performance, but I, I think for everybody who traveled, there was a bit of a personal experience side to it as well. Uh, how did you find, uh, find it, Jack, just getting to experience a couple different countries and and meeting a lot of hockey fans from different parts of the world too well i mean i will say and and we say this on the road periodically throughout the nhl season i i noted i I, you know i think the oilers travel very well Uh, you know especially uh for a team that's you know again not you know the the two major hubs i mean vancouver doesn't travel at all i don't really think uh, at least from what I've seen. And, and Toronto is always well represented. Uh, and I think the Habs do a reasonably good job, too. But I think the Oilers are right there. And there were certainly, you know, from an international perspective, obviously with Clef Bomba Larson, Drysaddle, and Reader, a lot of Oilers sweaters, probably a five to one ratio at least uh, with respect to what you saw Edmonton versus New Jersey. But that goes for the other 30 NHL cities as well. I mean, there's pockets of, of fans. Uh, throughout all the buildings that are wearing Oilers colors, particularly you see in Arizona. I mean, half the time it feels like a home game for Edmonton uh, when they're playing in Glendale. So uh, I wasn't necessarily surprised, uh, but it was amazing how many people uh, you know follow even you know even our play-by-play and know all about 6:30. Ched, uh, you'd be really surprised, or at least I was pleasantly surprised at how many listeners we have. Uh, from areas of the world that you couldn't probably fathom uh, when we're sitting there Tuesday night in a home game against Columbus. Well, uh, some great stories. I mean, NHL.com had that awesome story, too, about the Oilers fan who was blind and attended the game. So, yeah, that, that's some pretty cool stuff. On the ice, wasn't great Saturday, the first period. I mean, you know, okay. They bounced back from that early goal against and got out of the first period with a tie. Uh, really got away from the Oilers in the second period. I mean, it didn't have the puck a lot. Uh, couldn't keep up with the devil's pace. And, you know, Rob and I did the show after the game, and I think some, some fair concerns that maybe a little bit of the same problems that plagued the Oilers last year. I don't want to get too out of control about it because it is uh, it, it is one game, but, uh, man, the Devils uh, own that second period especially. Well, and it really started in the last four or five minutes of the first period. I, I felt it was kind of building at that point. Uh, I think, you know, the Oilers were basically even through the first 15 minutes of the game. Now, having said that, they also had three first period power plays. So that was the one thing is, is five on five. I felt like the Devils still had the upper hand in the first period, but because of the way things shook out power play wise, there was kind of an illusion that the Oilers were right there. 
And then, you know, at, at the back end of that first period, you could sense the Devils were building momentum, and the Oilers did not have a shot uh, for the first 17 minutes of the second period, and and not even close, really. Uh, there was a ratty chance off the rush, and a couple other guys wired pucks wide, but you know, uh, you said it. I mean, the Devils were a tough matchup in the first game. I mean, they've got a lot of speed. I think they're one of the quicker teams in the league. They beat the Oilers to every loose puck, and, and quite frankly, uh, you know, they looked they looked readier. But on the other hand, it, you know, it is game one. And, and look, let's not be shocked. I mean, the Devils won 44 games a year ago for a reason. I mean, they're a good hockey club. And just because us in Western Canada, I mean, let's face it, we probably don't pay attention to the Devils. I, I know the Devils. If you were asking me trivia questions, you know, the last five years of the 30 other NHL teams, the Devils, the Florida Panthers, those would be the kind of teams probably in my bottom five as far as what I could tell you about day in, day out. But what I've seen out of New Jersey is in the last couple of years a, a real buy-in as far as what John, John Hines is selling. They're playing fast. Uh, they've got a bunch of role players who don't mind, you know, who don't mind their roles. Uh, you know, the Devils have five, six, seven guys, Reed, who are all, you know, 12 goal, 13 assist guys, and they're fine with that. And, and they've got a leader like Taylor Hall, and if they get some decent goaltending, they're going to be tough to beat because they play so quick, and that feeds right into what the NHL is all about right now. Jack Michaels joining us from Boston. He'll be calling the game on Thursday when the Oilers get back at it against the Bruins. I know you checked out the game earlier today, Jack, with the uh, Bruins picking up a 6-3 win over the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I didn't get to see this game. You'll have to fill me in, but just from reading about it, it sounds like the guys who usually power Boston's offense were the guys doing it again today. Well, absolutely. I mean, it was a pain in the for the Boston Ock, and uh, and Bergeron won. I mean, Bergeron had a hat trick and an assist. Pasternak had two goals, two assists, and I think Marshan had had two or three assists. I mean, you know, Boston's missing Tory Krug right now, so there's some holes on defense, and, and that's where the Oilers are going to have to get Boston uh, back on their heels a little bit. I also, you know, I didn't love Tuka Rask's game. Obviously, he was shelled on opening night. Had no chance against the Caps, who really lit him up on the power play in particular, but. Uh, I didn't love his game today either, quite frankly. I thought he was a bit lucky. Uh, the the Sims hit a couple of posts. They had a couple other pucks that kind of stayed out. I mean, that game could have been, I mean, really, today's game, Reed, was, was uh, you know, another, another of the ones we've seen in the first week of the NHL season. I mean, it really, it was 6-3, but that was like a 6-5 or 7-6 game dressed up. I, I thought the Sens were a bit unlucky uh, not to score some more goals, considering how many pucks were sitting out there. Like I said, they had a few posts. So, I think the Oilers uh, are going to have their chances against the Bruins, but uh, again, uh, you know, that top line, and then and then the Bruins are kind of like the Devils in the sense they've got a bunch of uh, quick guys. You know, guys like Jake DeBrusque and, and Dan Knighton and Sean Corrali and, you know, guys we don't really, you know, other than Jake, because obviously we know him, we've seen him grow up, and he's from the Edmonton area. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys that are, are kind of under the radar. But it, it's weird how, 
you look at how teams are cycling. And I was I was watching the Devils the other day. It's no longer kind of when when you, we think of cycle, we think grinding it out, right, Reed? Well, the, the Devils don't cycle the puck that way, and neither do the Bruins. They make little quick plays out of the corners. They control the puck and they cycle it, but they do it in a different way. They don't do it with body control and positioning and boxing guys out. They they just make quick plays out of the corners, keep pucks moving. And, uh, you know, the power play goal today that they scored is a, a prime example of that where Marchand makes a little play out of the corner behind the back pass, and boom, it's in the net. I mean, Bergeron just, you know, absolutely roots it. So uh, it, it's going to be an enter- entertaining game on Thursday. I think both teams are going are gonna to get a lot of chances because, like I said, Boston's defense is a little bit off kilter. Uh, the Oilers, you know, I don't know whether you've, whether you've talked about this on the program yet or not, but Ryan Nugent-Hopkins did not skate today. Uh, he says he should be good to go. You know, lineup changes, you know, hard to anticipate right now whether Todd McClellan wants to make a tweak or two. I know Bruce Cassidy has made an active role in trying to get everyone going already and trying to find a game. So so Todd McClellan might be inclined to do that and try to find a game for guys uh, that haven't been in the lineup like Drake Kajula or Jason Garrison on defense. So, uh, we'll just have to see as the week develops. All right, uh, Jack, i got to bring this up with you before we go. You're a, a long-suffering Cleveland Browns fan. Man, uh, three of their five games this year have gone to overtime. Every game decided by four points or fewer, and uh, they're 2-2-1. Two, two and one. I mean, they're, they're hanging in there. Big 12-9 overtime win against the Ravens yesterday. And in my mind, 2-2-1 two, two and one is probably the worst record they could have. I thought they got... Uh, I thought they really got a tough call uh, in Oakland. I thought they had made the first down. That was a questionable reversal in my mind. Uh, and obviously the kicking game cost them the first two weeks. The tie against Pittsburgh, they had a chip shot with 13 seconds to go. Couldn't hit it. And New Orleans, they missed a couple of kicks and an ex- extra point. I mean, they they could easily be 5-0. and oh. I they're an exciting ball club, and that Baker Mayfield once again shows you why I'm a fan and not an expert on the National Football League. Uh, I was kind of excited when the Browns traded up and maneuvered on draft day to get Johnny Manziel, and I was less than thrilled when they passed up Saquon Barkley and drafted Baker Mayfield. So it just shows you what I know, Reed. Just ignore me whenever possible. But, <laughs> but I'll never, you know, before we get too far on the football side, I'm never going to let you forget you had James Franklin basically enshrined. No, and, no, uh, that's I, okay, I Jack. That, I, I knew that Mike Riley was oh, going. Here we you go. hate that, though. I'm never going to let you forget. One game I said maybe they should consider putting Franklin in about four or five years ago, and it's turned into this. I okay, buddy. <laughs> hey, Jack, you're in the Hall of Fame of Inside Sports guests. Thanks for checking in from Boston today, man. All right, Reed. Always a pleasure, bud. Always great to have Jack on the show. You'll hear him calling the Bruins and the Oilers on Thursday at 5 with our face-off show starting at 5.30. Live Thanksgiving Day edition of Inside Sports. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in. After the news, we will hit the road with Oil Kings captain Trey Fix-Wolanski, that club in the middle of a nine-day road trip. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.